Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined for a conversation with nine-year-old mathematics and science prodigy, Soborno Isaac Bari. Stay tuned. You know, in my ongoing career as a pediatric physician, one of my joys has been to appreciate and learn the spectrum of human development, especially how it unfolds through babies, to infants and toddlers, to children, and then to teens and adults. It's amazing and so rewarding to see how humans solve problems through inquiry, curiosity, failure, redirection, and then success. From picking up a Cheerio with a mature pincer grasp, to putting words together into a sentence, to navigating through the puzzles and queries of life and its increasing complexities. Speaking of complex, thank you for listening, sharing this with your friends, subscribing, and following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydandika. So often, I've just been stunned by a few kids. Like the five-year-old who asked me if I had a financial life plan and started talking to me about how interest works. Or the toddler who's skillfully playing a musical instrument in such a beautiful way. Maybe these are imprints from a previous life, maybe just spongy accelerated brains, but impressive nonetheless. But when my mom forwarded me a video about a nine-year-old American math and science prodigy named Soborno Isaac Bari, I think I was just simply floored. Soborno was born in New York after his parents immigrated from Bangladesh, and they noted his gift early. He was speaking in sentences when he was just six months old, and when he was two, he was solving complex math, chemistry, and physics problems. President Obama sent him a commendation letter when he was four, and when Soborno Isaac was seven, he was already teaching a class as a professor. Now I have to tell you, after getting to know him a little bit, he's also quite multidimensional. He wrote a book in 2019 called The Love, about eradicating global terrorism and the universal acceptance of all religions. And charmingly, he also tells some killer, killer jokes. Last year, Soborno Isaac received a Global Child Prodigy Award and recently was honored as a laureate by the Da Vinci Society. Most importantly, as a dual fourth and eighth grader, he's inspiring millions of students to fall in love with math, science, and learning in general through his YouTube channel, Bari Science Lab, which has over 328,000 followers. I was really grateful to chat with him, and we were able to talk about Soborno Isaac's journey and his interests. But we started by chatting about what he's learned about being such a good teacher. Well, a good teacher is one that can demonstrate to its students that math or science or whatever they're teaching is not about memorizing big, huge equations and long scientific procedures or things like that. It's about figuring it, uh, things out intuitively and trying to build your knowledge using things you already know and grow using them instead of them throwing some random equations at you. So what happens if I take 
if you take a child who's really passionate about math and science, grab him and just spit a bunch of very uncomplicated uh, equations in his face. He won't be passionate about math and science anymore because he thinks it's boring. But if you give him the time to build up and then show him those concepts and tell him what he's already learned and how it can relate to the new subject, then you will think math and science is cool. It's intuitive. It can be used for so many things and it's easy to understand. However, it's not very easy to understand if you don't know where any of the equations or complicated things are coming from. Would you say that that's kind of the way that you have learned so much by making, helping, or finding a way to make these subjects interesting and intuitive, whether it's math and science or things like history or other subjects too? Oh, uh, well, I like math and science, and um, but I think that that rule only really applies to math and science itself. And still, you have to um, memorize a bit of the basics because, you know, you need your addition multiplication facts everywhere. Yeah. Unless you're one to use a calculator like this one. Is that, is that your, your calculator of choice, by the way? Uh, no, I use a TI-89. Okay. And are there times when memorizing some things is important so that you can actually become a better learner? Well... There are, you only need to really memorize the basics because those are what you will need to build all the way up to well the important things. And these important things are ones that you can know using your basic knowledge. And so you need your basic knowledge with you at all times. It has to be like a backpack and you can never let go of it because otherwise you will completely forget math as a whole. There are still some things that you really have to need in your mind. You know, when I was uh, studying math and science, uh, certainly at your age, I was using a lot of listening skills because I think I, I like learning things from a listening standpoint or an auditory standpoint, but sometimes I like being a visual learner. Do you have a preference for how you learn? And for that matter, does that make a difference in how you teach? Well, a preference in how I learn? Well, I've heard of all these visual auditory types, and well, I think it's really hard to classify myself, but uh, I'm like the linguistic kinesthetic visual type. Sure. I, I go in three categories at once. And do you have a favorite um, type of learning style? And for that matter, do you have a favorite teaching style? Uh, favorite learning style? No, not really. But a favorite teaching style? Definitely. If you have the equipment, then it is very important to demonstrate hands-on instead of just writing things in a, on a blackboard. That way, it's boring for the students and students cannot get really engaged. Students cannot experiment. Students cannot see what things will happen. And so, the thing is, writing things on a blackboard limits the kind of things students can do and students can observe. But doing that same thing in reality really makes the students think more and the students have more opportunities to do things that normally they couldn't by just interacting with a blackboard. And, and do you find that sometimes the more interesting things that go beyond interacting with a blackboard or interacting with a computer 
Is there also a role for interacting with your peers and having discussions about the subject? Definitely. You cannot just do something alone. You need to discuss with your peers. Socialization is one of the most important things you need to have. You have to report your findings. Others have to report their findings to you. You have to discuss, make hypotheses and things like that. And those are uh, extremely hard, if not impossible, when dealing with complex science alone. So socialization is a must when you're dealing with science. And normally people think socialization comes into like the humanities category, but it mm. definitely doesn't. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that, the, the humanities category. Are there uh, some subjects in humanities or even art or even music that you really enjoy and you like pursuing as well as math and science? Art feels really fun to me, but I never actually had the time or equipment to do it. All I have is 48 color pencils with me right now. Okay. And I also do music on my grand piano. Though I only practice on the basic songs and the beginnings of very advanced songs. Sure. Because I know that you're someone who has such a unique school schedule, but maybe what's the most interesting, and you mentioned a little bit about socialization being so important. What's the most interesting thing that you find about being a nine-year-old who's both in fourth grade and in eighth grade at the same time? Uh, well, it's very interesting, my school schedule. And I think the most interesting thing is not only being able to socialize with my uh, peers of my age, but also being able to socialize with older people who have different ideas than I do, and most certainly can do measurements better than I do. These clumsy hands shake all the time when I'm in <laughs> science class. I cannot use graduated cylinders because otherwise uh, it'll spill everywhere and everybody will just scream at me. But the thing is, I think it's really important to socialize not only with people above you who know more than you and maybe can teach something to you, but it's also important to socialize with the peers of your age because that way you can come up with the better ideas. As Stephen Hawking mentioned in his book, the only uh, kind of person who questions everything is kids because kids don't know that much of the world. And to be uh, truthful, adults don't know that much. Either. They just know only a little bit more than kids. So I think, you know, however, adults radically think I uh, know everything that there is to be known. However, nobody knows everything that is to be known. I don't think even Einstein could paint the Mona Lisa. But Leonardo da Vinci was a great scientist, though. Very, very true. And in that same way, what are some of the things that you're learning from your peers and from some of those eighth graders that you've been surprised about? That it's their kind of aha little moments that when you you think about it, you're like, wow, that's what a nice surprise. Oh, in fifth grade, I haven't really had those aha moments yet. It's only been 12 days of school. So, <laughs> and I don't exactly take science class in fourth grade. So, sure. uh, yeah, they aren't really motivated to talk about a lot of math and mathy and sciencey things. But in eighth grade, I not only take math, but I also take science. 
Sure. Specifically, living environment and evolutionary ecology. I've I haven't heard of those before. However, the thing is, I learned quite a bit from my eighth grade peers and definitely from my teacher. Uh, eighth grade peers always talk to me about politics, and I really get to see the way that they learn. I really get to see the way that uh, people who are older and have advanced in like uh, advanced learn. <laughs> like because I've only been in elementary schools and I haven't really seen how people who are in advanced subjects learn. I've only seen like basic kids learn around me. And so I've never really thought about how people who are not my age or people who are older, who probably know more things about the world than me, especially in politics or stuff, people who are basically older than me and so have more experience with the world, it's surprising to see how they learn. And so I really like to see that kind of thing. And so I basically learned a little bit of pedagogy from that. Yeah. Well, and just like this interaction here, where I feel like I'm learning so much from you, would you say that there are some things that may not necessarily be academic that you're also learning from some of your fellow fourth graders? Or for that matter, do you ever find uh, uh, some of those surprises in learning from, from kids who are even younger than you? Well, kids who are younger, even younger than me, I haven't interacted with them that much yet. But in the fourth grade, there are definitely some non-academic things they have discussed. Sure. Definitely. That's like fourth graders did. They have made some dirty jokes, more dirty jokes, and jokes from the social media websites that they think are popular, like TikTok, yeah. things like that. And just chaos in uh, my fourth grade classroom. Last time they were chanting some secret chant they heard on TikTok. Uh-oh. Well, and, and overall, I mean, is it sometimes fun and in some ways kind of relaxing to be a fourth grader sometimes and, and in that way kind of soak it in? Well, it's definitely fun, but really not react uh, relaxing is you can just hear the chaos around you and think, what is happening? That kind of stuff doesn't happen with eighth graders because obviously they're quite a bit more mature. But with fourth graders, the classroom is just absolute chaos. I think it's more personally, it's more difficult to be like a kindergarten or first grade teacher rather than like a university teacher. Because, yeah, sure, the academic materials are for babies. However, the thing is, you just cannot deal with, like, the emotions and stuff of the you know, people. And so, yeah, I'd say that it's definitely fun and adrenaline rising, especially when you're playing with others or talking and joking with others. But it's not that relaxed. It's chaotic. Yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like uh, you're in the eye of a hurricane, maybe, uh, in one of your fourth grade classes with all that chaos. Are there games that you really like playing uh, at recess or some of your favorites? What are, what are some of your things that you like to do outside the classroom? I saw a video where you were growing some, some squash, and it sounded like that might have been some fun, too. Oh, yeah. Squash takes a long time to grow, and so it's not usually a hobby. 
But the thing is, I do have actual hobbies outside of math and science and academic stuff. I do biking sometimes on Saturday and Sunday. I also do basketball sometimes. Yeah. And I play piano, as I mentioned before. And I also really like playing chess. Chess is one of my favorite games. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back and rejoin our conversation with Soborno Isaac Bari. Stay tuned. This is Zoe Harvey-Court, and you can check out RecusAvenueRadio.com for more information and for the latest on station programming and more. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Soborno Isaac Bari. Well, let me ask you this. As someone who has really accelerated and at the same time is so humble about learning, I really appreciate that. I wanted to ask you um, if you have reflected on what happens when you make a mistake and when you make an error. How do you react and respond to making mistakes? And what's your process for that? All right. Well, making mistakes, uh, sometimes or most of the time, I just fix them right after. And I'm like, oopsie daisy. I committed an oopsie. And uh, I'm uh, like, sorry, sorry, that was a mishap. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, My brain, uh, my brain got distracted. I blacked out, things like that. Because uh, most of the time, when I do something wrong, either my head messed up some calculations or I just forgot something that I really didn't want to forget. Well, when people say I'm memorizing and not good at math and science, they uh, are thinking I'm the exact opposite of what I really am. They think uh, because I am really good at math and science and horrible in memory. I am horrible. Well, I wonder, you know, sometimes mistakes are really important. I know that many times when I have made a mistake, it might lead to a new discovery and it might make me improve upon something that I didn't even know about myself. Have you ever found that sometimes making mistakes is really important? Well, not really, because I haven't really made a mistake that uh, has long-term effects because I usually fix it in the uh, minutes or days following. When you, when you go about fixing it, do you, do you think about like, well, hopefully I don't make the same mistake again? Definitely. I really don't like making mistakes. Uh, I'm like, oops, I really cannot make that mistake again or else I will be really embarrassed because uh, I am nearly always um, in publicity. And so uh, I'm like, I cannot make this mistake again because otherwise it will look like I'll have my parents do. You get really embarrassed sometimes when you make mistakes, especially when you're in public. 
Sure. No, definitely. Do you feel like that puts some pressure on yourself and maybe that's a good pressure to have? Well, it's the pressure to fix the mistake. Yeah, that's true. And fix it fast, right? Yeah. You cannot have that uh, you cannot have that on your blackboard. You cannot have a wrong equation or um, a misadded number because uh, I there are two scenarios. Either nobody notices it and you've just taught people a misconception or somebody notices it and you get uh, completely embarrassed in public. Well, hopefully there'll be no embarrassment and, and no shaming there. I wanted to ask you one thing about the hobbies you mentioned, whether it's piano or chess or basketball or you know, any of your other hobbies, do they, do you think that those hobbies make you a better student, a better learner? Uh, well, maybe by giving me energy, but I can't really think of any other ways. Maybe like when you play chess, it helps you to, with some strategy or problem solving, um, or even like you said, the energy to keep going and, and sort of feel like you can, you can do things, uh, with some stamina. Well, I definitely have perseverance, the energy to keep going, but uh, well, I'm not exactly good at chess. I'm only a 400 reading, not something you would expect from a prodigy, but I'm still a 400 <laughs> reading because I haven't really learned good strategies or gambits yet, and I rarely play chess. So, well, uh, we'll we'll give you a pass on that one for being a prodigy and and having that rating. I'm sure it'll be something that's on your list of of things to do and improve. Yeah, I was so impressed that you wrote um, a book a few years ago about a world without terrorism. How do you think we're? You know, that was a few years ago now. And how do you think we're all doing in that regard? Do you think we're we're making any progress in in this area? Oh, goodness, no. All right, so the war, war on terrorism? Oh, that has gone to, uh, that has gone down in flames. I mean, have you just seen what has happened to Afghanistan? Because I'm really worried that, uh, because I'm really worried. This is a copy of my own book, The Love, about a world without terrorism and well four years just exactly four or five years after it was published boom there's a terrorist country now yeah. there was a whole entire country controlled by terrorists and i'm thinking how did this happen it's because of neglect and uh, it's because of neglect the U.S. evacuation has gone horribly because of some messy handling of strategy. You sort of took out the military before the civilians. At least that's what my view is on it. Sure. And third, you probably sort of taken out the military equipment, too, because the, now the, one of the key reasons the Islamic Emirate won was because the U.S. left behind nearly all of its good equipment to Afghanistan Afghani forces. And as soon as the Afghani forces surrendered, it became a snowball effect because the Afghan forces laid down all of the weapons, which were gained by the Taliban. And then 
how the Taliban used those weapons to ransack more uh, Afghanistan, had uh, more Afghanistan weapons, and over and over and over again. And so it was a mishandling of strategy. It was the corruption of the president. It was a, a lot of things. And the war on terrorism, I believe, needs to use not only math and science, but also law, because you need to teach people that math and science is more important than a war and stuff like that. Math and science is the thing that will advance us. War is just going to pull us behind. War is just going to now give us several months or even years of backtracking. Because not only will it take a long time, during which most likely no new technologies will be developed, but if that the war is big enough, then it will nearly destroy a lot of the stuff in the country, which can even backtrack scientific development. Well, and, and as you said, love being such an important component to make things you know, different or to advance progress instead of backtracking, how do we get more people to see things that way? Well, how do we get people to see things that way? That's a very good question. The thing is, you have to get people to see that way because you have to get people to see that way. It's a really difficult question because some people uh, think uh, no matter what, some uh, people think, oh, war is good, uh, killing people is good, this is for the greater good, and nobody can convince me otherwise because Allah, religious terrorism is a very difficult thing to fix. Terrorism in general is already difficult, but when that's applied to religion, you have the supreme being you're fighting for, and nobody can convince you that whatever you're doing is bad because that supreme being apparently permits you with no evidence and just misinterpretation. So most of the time, it's actually really hard to convince people of that. And so it's a, a varying answer. However, for I think that you should teach people the lesson of empathy because empathy says that all cultures, all religions, like the the Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism. I don't have the Quran right now because it's downstairs. Sure, but all of these things. All of these religious books are sacred to some person in some way. And so then that means that you should respect their beliefs because without respecting their belief, you will have war, which pulls us behind and ultimately pushes us back. If we really want to find the truth, if we're living in a simulation or if we are living in real life, or if everything adjusts our mind, or if there really is a God lurking in the heavens above us, uh, we have to find that using math and science, not using religion and stuff. Because uh, religion and war will just pull us behind in math and science. And so religion should not be used as a strength. Rather, it should just be used as a respectful belief. Because even if two people 
don't believe in the same thing, it can it shouldn't quickly escalate to war and killing and death over these things. It should instead just be a peaceful exchange of ideas. Like uh, you have the scientific community just exchange a few ideas, and for the most part, uh, there are no huge arguments um, besides all the conspiracy theories. But though I don't uh, officially consider them part of science, right? Why can't we have the religious community be that way? Why can't religion just be a simple exchange of belief about God or a divine being or even no divine being, but just a, a very good man like in Buddhism? Yeah. So, well, why do we have to have this kind of fighting over that thing? Uh, I uh, think that empathy is the most important lesson to teach. So, you have you know, all of these books, they're sacred to other people. And so you shouldn't kill each other for these beliefs. You should have it be like the scientific community. You yeah. should have just a peaceful exchange of beliefs. Oh, yeah, I believe this. Well, I believe this. And then goodbye. You shouldn't be arguing because arguing leads to war. And war leads to death. And death leads not only to sadness and grief, but also a loss in scientific progress. I, I I cannot tell you how impressed I am with how well you've been able to articulate that and and express that. I, I sincerely hope all of that is listened to very actively by people who are in a position who can make that a reality, and hopefully all of us together can make it a reality. It brings to mind for me one other subject that's relatively related that I think all of us find to be so important for humanity, and that is the climate crisis. Do you have any thoughts on, on how we can advance our collective effort and understanding, not only through math and science, but even, believe it or not, through empathy and love to make sure that our, our global climate crisis can be addressed? Oh, goodness. Well, the climate crisis, that's getting worse every single day. Just a few weeks ago, like two or three weeks ago, we had this huge flood in New York. Uh, thankfully, I wasn't hit, but we had huge rain pounding down on the streets over here in Lindbergh. But New York City was absolutely trashed during that flood. Basement flooded while people were asleep down there, and so people drowned. While they were in the, the sleep, people were trapped in cars over flooded highways that looked like many rivers. And uh, uh, people in apartment buildings were stuck in there until firemen could find their, uh, uh, get them a way out. I even watched a video on Now This News where there were like two guys who were filming themselves inside a flooded elevator. And so it absolutely wrecked havoc, climate change, especially on our world now. And we have to bring attention to it. However, some people are, uh, think that uh, climate change isn't real because you see all of this climate uh, thing had been happening for millions of years. But the thing is, there's no scientific evidence for that. And uh, for one, people aren't really attacking each other for that. Because there's only a fair amount of well, uh, uh, love or a, fair, a lot of respect 
respect for each other in the scientific community, unlike the religious community. Sure. So I think that the scientific community doesn't exactly need that much love anymore because there was already a lot of respect between people who are talking in the scientific community. Sure. Hopefully some of our economic and policy leaders around the world can take more and more advice from the scientific community and we can innovate and find some really cool solutions to bringing climate change and and help curb the amount of of climate change that's happening right now yeah i think that's very important i even bought a tesla and not only for how cool it looked but also because it's an electric car that will uh, cost change because cars you know they uh, take fossil fuels and gas and fuel and that all creates a bunch of smoke and that is really bad for the environment and fueling climate change and so I think that it is very important for economic leaders and political leaders to take orders from scientific leaders on the matter of climate change. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with nine-year-old child prodigy, Soborno Isaac Bari. This is Murdurani. Listen to Ruckus Avenue Radio at dashradio.com and download the Dash Radio app for complete access 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to our station. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with math and science prodigy Soborno Isaac Bari. You know, I love all of these, these topics. You're so well-versed in being able to share some of your thoughts on them and whether it's on squash or uh, some of your thoughts on the Cuban Missile Crisis. I've been able to watch some of your videos. Are there some topics or subjects that people might be surprised to hear you talk about? Um, I'm not sure, but I've never talked about art before, and that's really it because I've talked about a whole range of subjects. The only subject I haven't actually talked about is art. So I think that um, art would be something that people would be pretty surprised to see on my channel, uh, because uh, I think it's the only kind of surprising content that would be on there. Sure. And is, is there some subjects or topics that are not math and science that you really are you find a lot of joy in when you talk about them, that you're very passionate about them. History. History is uh, so cool to learn about. Just the way of life back then, um, how, how history plays out is really so tense. And it's also uh, extremely uh, cool to see just the ways of life people had all the way before. 
uh, beforehand when you uh, you had like the 1900s, the 1800s, and especially it is really good uh, if you to visualize yourself in the mind of one uh, random person in the 1960s during the Cuban Missile Crisis in the Cold War, or to visualize yourself during World War One as a soldier, or during World War Two as a soldier. Or as a person living under the Nazi regime, thinking, I want to get out of here. The German resistance, the Italian resistance, it's really nice to just visualize yourself. And it really feels tense, especially when you get involved and engaged in history. So I'm really passionate about history. When I think about those topics and I think about them now, I imagine myself if, and I'm 50 years old, I imagine myself what it would be like to be a 50-year-old in some of those times. And you were imagining it, of course, through the eyes of a nine-year-old. You know, when you think about them, is do you think there's a difference in how you think about history and, say, someone who is much older like me? Probably because older people have experienced more history for themselves firsthand. And me, an eeny, a weeny, a nine-year-old, is only hasn't really experienced that many tense times. Because, well, the thing is, I haven't experienced that many tense times besides the transition of uh, power that has come recently. No matter what side you fall on, we can all agree that thing was chaos. So I think that I haven't really lived through much history that is actually notable and will go into history textbooks that I can actually visualize myself in. And so I think there's probably a difference in how older people think of it and how younger people think of it, because older people have experienced it more firsthand, while younger people think of it less because they haven't experienced it firsthand. Sure. I wonder, because um, certainly your experiences or your passion for history and studying history do you think it helps prepare you for some of those tense times that may come in the future mm, no no oh. well <laughs> and and i wonder then if one of the tense times or one of the kind of crises that we've also had to experience in the last year and a half to two years has been the COVID crisis and you know, in thinking about all those previous historical events that you mentioned and trying to imagine yourself as someone who's living through those experiences and now living through this experience as a student of history, did that at all help you to cope with this COVID crisis in any way? No, staying at home really demoralizes you. But now I've learned to go outside with masks. And now I bike regularly every day. I go outside to shops. And I even sometimes go outside to make speeches or videos. That's awesome. I don't think it really has prepared me, but I haven't been that demoralized by COVID nonetheless. Maybe it has prepared me and I just don't know. You received the Global Child Prodigy Award from a mutual hero of mine too, Kailash Satyarthi. And what was so special about receiving it from him? I feel receiving it from him really boosted me because I have heard of Kailash Satyarthi before. He was a child activist, um, this person who did so many great 
things and has helped the uh, Indian people and children. Uh, he was a child activist. He still is. And I was really honored to get one from him because not only am I a child, so he uh, is, was technically helping me, but also he was so a person who already was so great had already established his title, and he sincerely handed this uh, huge title to me. And it's, uh, I think, don't know if it's necessarily that huge, because I think the GCPA was formed in like 2018, but it still felt like a great accomplishment to me, especially to get it from one of the most honorable people on earth. Yeah, really something. So, Borno Isaac, I I wanted to ask you a a question because I think sometimes the perception from people who aren't around you or may not know you, but hear or hear you speak and see some of your videos is that learning comes very easy for you. And that knowledge, acquiring knowledge is very easy. But I was curious about one thing, what have been some of the hardest things for you to learn? What sometimes, you know, is perhaps challenging Uh, about learning some of these topics? Well, sometimes you just cannot get good sources because sometimes those sources just throw some random equations in your face and uh, you cannot find any source for where those equations come from or where they are derived from. And when you do, it's usually this big jumble of equations that makes it difficult for you to even learn more because you have to go look up everything that's happening in those equations and the meaning of everything so you can, just so you can really understand it. And sometimes, just because of the lack of time, I have to skip over things when I'm trying to make a video and I'm learning about something because of the lack of time, and then I can only learn about it later. And that's especially a very um, pretentious or, I mean, it's very dangerous and scary when you have um, you have made a mistake when you've only learned part of the picture and then when you learn the full picture, you realize you made a mistake and you have to go there and film the whole video again. And it's really difficult sometimes when you just don't have good sources for some things. And art, art. I have not learned anything about art. And, and with because uh, those are sometimes challenges, how do you deal with being frustrated about those? Do you have to sometimes step away and maybe pause and come back to it later? Or um, is there a different strategy that you use? All I do is like pause, listen to some calm music or play a game or two. And then after that, I return and keep working until I get frustrated again. Uh, Eat, get frustrated, go sleep, repeat. So, Borno Isaac, uh, when you meet other fourth graders or eighth graders who are out there and they may be struggling with uh, a topic to learn or say an equation or something, some concept in math or science or history. What advice do you have for them in trying to learn some of these topics? Or what advice do you have for their teachers or their parents in trying to help them uh, to learn some of these topics? 
Well, the thing is, I think that my teachers are doing really good in their teaching job. And my science teacher does hands-on things and has her lab equipment. My math teacher also uh, intuitively explains math, but she does use a lot of calculators, like, Mm. all the time. I think that my teachers are doing good, and students are also doing particularly good. Though I have heard my math teacher had some uh, very bad periods. Yeah. Well, and do you have any advice for those peers who are in either fourth or eighth grade who might be struggling? What kinds of advice do you have for them to, to help them get better? What kind of advice I have for them? Well, that's a good question. I I think that if a fourth grader or eighth grader is struggling with it, you should at least calm down, relax, maybe try and learn something about it, uh, whatever you were struggling with in your relaxed time, and then go back to it, focus on it, persevere on it, and then eventually, if you start and cannot, then you should probably get help from a more knowledgeable other, which is actually in Vygotsky's philosophy. You know, Vygotsky thinks that you can only expand how much you know by talking to somebody who, uh, by either talking to somebody who knows more or talking to nature and doing experiments. So I think that uh, you should calm down, relax, maybe try to learn something and then go back to the subject, persevere. And if you uh, fail again, then get help. I'm so curious about one thing. How do your friends describe you? What's something, if you were imagining what they would say about you, what's something they maybe love about you? What's something they might say is pleasantly annoying? Um, How do you think that they would describe you? I think that my friends would describe me. I think that my peers around me probably would describe me as smart. I don't uh, brag. I don't brag that much in fourth grade, but I I don't brag at all in fourth grade. And I don't brag that much in eighth grade. But, um, well, I feel that maybe they would think of me as pleasantly annoying and maybe they would also think of me as smart. Well, that that's lovely. Is there a difference maybe in what some of your eighth grade friends would tell you versus your fourth grade uh, friends, how they describe you? Would they describe you as a good friend, by the way? I think so, but I don't know. And what make what maybe makes you a good friend to them? Maybe it's me telling jokes or having fun with them or being there with them or telling even more witty jokes or just helping them when they need it. I think that would be something that uh, tells them I am a good friend. And I've already done quite a few of those already in the few days of school that I've already had. Do you have any good witty jokes for us? Not now. I come up with them on the go. But when I'm on stress or my mind is just filled up with something, like uh, I cannot make a joke. All right. Well, we'll we'll leave it at that. If you think of one, please uh, let me know, okay? Oh, um, yeah, I thought of one. All right. Let's hear it. Uh, you know, uh, a few years ago, I didn't exactly understand news uh, chemistry. So uh, one of uh, me, fat, which is my older brother, said to me, "Do you understand chemistry?" 
And I said, sodium, hydrogen, bromine, oxygen. <laughs> and, and what did he say? And then he just walked away. Well, Savorna, Isaac, I don't think too many people are walking away from you. If anything, they're walking towards you because they're so interested and they're so impressed. By the way, you want to know what, um, uh, you want to actually know what uh, sodium, hydrogen, uh, bromine, oxygen forms? I, I would, yes. It spells out N-A-H-B-R-O. Nah, bro. <laughs> nah, bro. I love it. <laughs> well, that's great. I have to remember that so I can tell my kids. I have a um, an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. Wait, and I, think, I have an 18-year-old brother. You know, does he sometimes help you out with, you know, any of your any of your work? Uh, definitely. When yeah. my father isn't home to help me out, he always helps me out. So most of the time he doesn't help. Me. But when I really need it and my father isn't home to help me, when my father just doesn't have an idea, my brother is really smart and can think of things really fast. And so my uh, brother has helped me a lot sometimes, especially when I was learning the, about the Maxwell equations. All those yeah. sources online were just so horrible because I uh, honestly couldn't remember all of these well, equations and what you do with the, the density and what you do with the divergence, things like sure. that. I couldn't understand because, well, all of this, uh, these things, I mentioned it before, learning is super difficult when they just throw equations at you and you don't know what those mean. So you have to go even deeper. So when I was studying the Maxwell equations, I didn't know what the volume integral was or the surface integral was. And then I went down a whole rabbit hole and made a, a whole video about surface, the three types of integrals. And then I had to return back and then I had to reinterpret them. And then I realized there was just a very easy method to reinterpret them called the differential form of the Maxwell equation. So you really just have to go in circles sometimes. And my brother have really helped me out with interpreting that. Well, that's that's it, it's so uh, lucky that you have a, a big brother who's going to be, you know, there for you in this way. Um, I have two little sisters. They're not so little anymore, but um, I hope I, I am as good of a big brother as sounds like Rafat is for you. We are so grateful that you made some time to come and join us. Thank you so much for being here. I hope we can chat again at some point in the future. Thank you. And thank you, Suborno Isaac. And to everyone, just a reminder to keep your arms inside the car at all times during the ride, and absolutely no flash photography is allowed during our tour. In breaking tabloid science news, by the way, did you hear that oxygen and magnesium got together? O-M-G. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dharnikov. Because every story told is a lesson learned. Because every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share stories about South Asian people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Hear it every Monday, Tuesday on Ruckus Avenue Radio or wherever you get your podcast. Things my way Do I have to keep on talking to
you're saying You can get it wrong and still think that it's alright Think of what I'm saying We can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight We can work it out We can work it out Life is very short And there's no
Hi everyone, my name is Tet. Tune in to Sweet Summer Live to see me perform on October 29th. Um, every dollar raised will go towards the Wayfair Foundation and the Covenant House California to help shelter the unsheltered. Um, so head on to sweetsummerlive.com to grab your tickets. Funny.